We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into a Wednesday edition of the Roadwire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, it is officially the month of March, which means it is officially very much crunch time in the NBA, even more so crunch time in fantasy basketball leagues. Uh, not a great time necessarily to be, say, rostering LeBron James in the Roadwire Stake League, Alex. It is, uh, I'm going to be paying for a lot of people's steak dinners this year. Um, you know, the combination of LeBron, Brad Beal, yeah, I had Clay sitting up back to backs to start the year. Draymond was, you know, both those guys had had reduced minutes to start the year. It's just uh it's not been not been a good year for me. It was a frustrating start to the year, that's for sure. Uh for a lot of people. It does feel like overall the the injuries have curtailed a little bit. Uh you know, I think if you're a Carl Anthony Towns owner, you're like screaming right now saying that is not the case at all. Uh, obviously Curry's missed time again, you know, then LeBron and you know Anthony Davis isn't going to play tonight on Wednesday for the Lakers as they try to avoid dropping both halves uh, of a back to back. Uh my Kawhi Leonard pick, which I have bemoaned over and over and over on this pod all year, it's it's kind of paying off right now. We'll see if he makes it through this final month and a half of the season. You know, I, I have my doubts, uh, reasons to worry about that, but um, you know, we'll, we'll keep checking in on our teams over the next few weeks. You and I are, are kind of battling for what feels like maybe one spot in, in either territory. And uh, unfortunately the president of our company, FSGA hall of famer, Peter Schenke grabbing Dennis Smith jr. Uh, you know, mere moments before the injury to LaMelo ball on Monday night, uh, that might end up swinging the league in his favor, but Anyway, we have, we have a lot of notes to hit from Tuesday night's games. We had an outsized Tuesday slate. For some reason, there were only four games on Monday, 10 games on Tuesday. We got nine games coming at you on Wednesday. We also want to talk about some of the relatively disappointing players in fantasy and, and kind of where we see their, them heading, uh, looking ahead to next season. But uh, let's start with the Lakers, Alex. They, they lose at Memphis last night. Really ugly game for both teams. Uh, a, a winnable game for the Lakers, which I think makes us sting a little bit more because Memphis did not play well. I mean, the, the Grizzlies were six of 31 from three. Uh, John Morant had a fantastic game, 39, 10 and 10. Jaron Jackson had four blocks, but other than that, uh, it was really not a, a strong showing for a lot of the, the ancillary guys for Memphis. And uh, you know, Anthony Davis played okay. 28 and 19 wasn't super efficient. Other than that though, uh, you know, I, I think we really started to see the effects of, of not having LeBron on this roster uh, because we have guys like Troy Brown. You have guys like Jared Vanderbilt, Rui Hachimura in theory, they, they play a similar position. They'll play more minutes. They, they just can't really replicate what LeBron brings. No, they can't. And uh, part of it too, is this is essentially like you have a lot of new pieces. You're trying to integrate into the team while also losing your sort of like the hub that can tell everybody where to go. Um, your floor general, so it's a combination of those two things. And, you know, they didn't have D'Angelo Russell either. 
right? Who has shown some chemistry with AD early on, and that could have really helped the Lakers a lot here. Um, without LeBron, I just it just doesn't feel like they're going to be able to. I mean, they have an easy schedule. You know, like this is going to be one of their harder games for the remainder of the season. It just doesn't feel like it's going to happen for them. See, I don't know how much to buy into strength of schedule right now. And you're right. I mean, the, the Lakers don't exactly have a gauntlet the rest of the way, but it, it's really tough to get a read on these teams. Like, for example, they play Golden State on Sunday. We have no idea if Steph Curry is going to be available for that game. It sounds like he could be back. If not, uh, yeah, we'll be back early the following week. But obviously that changes the calculus entirely. If Curry is available for that game, they'll likely you know catch the Timberwolves on Friday with no towns. Uh, you know, we'll see who's available for Memphis next Tuesday. So I, I think there's a, kind of a key difference between how the schedule can look on paper versus the product that you're actually getting night to night. And it's going to be really interesting because two of their final four games this year are against the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I mean, these these Western Conference games with the standings so packed tight, I mean, the, the playoff implications for every single one is is pretty ridiculous. Um whether it be for the two teams that are playing each other or anybody around them in the standings, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't think Utah is going to be playing very good basketball the rest of the year, uh, given what their depth chart looks like. I mean, you know, marketing I think going to continue to play well and Kessler is going to give them a good defensive floor, but they're missing Sexton and they were missing Clarkson the other night. And, you know, despite being nine and a half point favorites against San Antonio, um, lost to the Spurs. A lot of Johnny Juzang minutes last night. Uh, a little bit alarming. If, you, if you're not following the Jazz closely right now, yeah, things are, are not ideal, especially in that backcourt. Jordan Clarkson has missed some time. Colin Sexton uh, missing time as well. Uh, even the rookie, Oshai Abaji, uh, left that game on Tuesday night against the Spurs. So I, I do kind of get the feeling that Utah is trying to lean into this uh, as much as they can. I think they, they won too many games early on. They won too many games in the middle of the season. So it, it is going to be really difficult for them uh, you know, to, to feel great about where they stand in the draft. But at the same time, I, I think they do have a, a fairly clear path to maybe the sixth best lottery odds. And if they're a team that doesn't feel like it's worth it to really push hard for the play-in, and they, they probably wouldn't feel great about emerging from that play-in, then I, I do see the argument for, okay, let, let's see if we can maybe steadily make our way down. And, and all of a sudden, we, we, we just give ourselves as, as good of a chance as possible uh, when the lottery rolls around. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, I was someone who was not 100% confident. Like, you know, I mean, OKC, Utah, some of these teams are really tough to read in terms of what yeah. they want to do. And, you know, I think there's a case where, like, I could try to make the case of OKC should go for it or Utah should go for it. But there are teams above them, or I should say teams near them in the standings, where it's so much clearer that those teams should be the ones going for it. And it's not like Portland and LA and New Orleans and Minnesota, like those are the teams that in theory should be gunning for mm -hmm. the playoffs and the playing tournament. So, you know, like those teams are going to be trying a lot down the stretch while OKC, Utah, maybe not so much. And there's varying def definitions of go for it, right? I mean, going for it for, for Utah or OKC means like you're, you're kind of getting this moral victory potentially of, of emerging from the play-in and then being sacrificed to the Nuggets or the Suns. Um, and you know, those teams are not like super teams. They're not, they're not these like powers that you just feel like you'd have no chance. But uh, I, I think we, we need to keep in mind that the payoff in terms of actually like having a chance to win the title is just not really there. Um, so it depends, you know, how much you value, you know, four or five games in a first round series, which for a team like OKC, I, I think it makes sense to prioritize that development at some point. I, I think obviously that's been a concern the last couple of years, not really, uh, operating like a team that has any interest in making the playoffs and not wanting to expose some of your young players to that for too long. Uh, bouncing around some other games from Tuesday night, the Denver Nuggets, shockingly, Alex, blew out the Houston Rockets at Houston. Uh, another disastrous night for, for the Rockets. But we did see a nice line from Tari Eason. You know, the minutes had started to tail off a little bit for Eason before the All-Star break. A lot of games just kind of hovering around 18 to 20 minutes. But uh, he's now played 28 and 31 in the last two games, those coming against Portland and Denver goes for 17, 12 and two last night had 15, 10 and two uh, against the Portland trailblazers. So it's, it feels like we've been waiting now, like 60 games for, for the Tari Easton late season fantasy breakout. And if you've been stashing him, I, I think it's time to comfortably put him in your lineup. 
Yeah, I think Tari Eason has been featuring in more like fantasy articles about you picked stash this guy and you know, the breakout's coming. He might be the leading name in those articles. Part of the problem all season has been that he plays the same position as Jabari Smith, who obviously they have way more investing in Jabari Smith. Um, and to some extent, you know, he's playing similar, like, you know, you're not like Kenyon Martin is also playing well. You don't want to suddenly give Kenyon Martin only 20 minutes a game when he's been playing well. So the minutes aren't as easy for him to find as I think people think. But at the same time, if you're Houston, like this is a guy who actually has upside. I think you got to find a way to play him mm. rather than like Josh Christopher or like Dacian Nix. Like just, just play, just give Easton those minutes. Like what's, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? How dare you come on this pod and disrespect the name of Dacian Nix. Uh, I, I do think, uh, you know, Kevin Porter missing a bunch of time has, has certainly made it a little bit easier. I mean, you're basically taking like 30 to 35 minutes out of that rotation, but uh, it feels like this should have been happening sooner. I, I think you're right. Um, just given the the level of upside compared to some of the other young players, uh, you know, Ty Ty Washington going to be another guy to keep an eye on. I think the minutes should be there for him. So long as Kevin Porter remains out and we're, we're nearing the point with Porter where uh, I, I know there's, there's been some optimism, like he'd returned to practice and whatnot. And I, I do think he plays, uh, he is questionable for tonight's game against Memphis. So maybe he plays tonight, but I also could see them, you know, if, if, if that foot issue, you know, were to, quote unquote, resurfaced at some point, it wouldn't be shocking to me if, if Kevin Porter, you know, ends up sitting a decent amount of time down the stretch. There's no real reason for Houston at this point to be playing in big minutes. No, there's no reason to risk an injury for him at the same time. I don't think playing him is going to, I mean, they've been God awful all season with him in the lineup. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's the same with like Detroit and some of these bottom feeding teams. It's like they've been awful all year with their guys in, but you know, if one of these teams starts pulling the plug, then the other teams are going to be more pressured to pull the plug mm-hmm. to to kind of keep up with it in the loss column. Yeah, I guess for me, it's more about just developmental purposes. You know, it's like if you view Kevin Porter as a true piece of your franchise going forward, then yeah, I'm sure you play it out till the end of the year. It's not really going to matter wins and losses wise. And we, we should also note too, that as far as the lottery is concerned, there's no difference between the 30th, 29th and 28th worst records in the league, right? I mean, you're, you're just making sure you're in that bottom three and right now, I mean, there's a four and a half game gap between Detroit and San Antonio and then the Charlotte Hornets who are, are red hot and have won five in a row. Man, losing or excuse me, winning five in a row for Charlotte. What bad timing. It's a criminal offense. Like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? <laughs> they were they were absolutely in this mix. And look, I know the difference is like 12 and a half percent to 14 percent. So maybe they looked at that and said, look, we'll, we'll take our chances there. But uh, of all times to be reducing your lottery odds, this is not the time. And the thing is, they they don't even really have, I don't know, they like do they they don't even really have that many great development pieces, like guys no. that are that are young, that you're trying to get a bunch of these minutes. Like, of course, like they have guys like you, you Bryce McGowan's and JT Thor, and I suppose Book Knight still exists. Maybe I'm not 100 percent sure. Unclear. Um, yeah, but they don't they don't have the kind of guys with upside. It feels like that. Um, uh, these other tanking teams had partially because they, you know, the Hornets were good last year, right? With bridges, mm-hmm. they were competitive and they were competitive at moments this year, you know, because they have a solid roster. It's just, nobody was, they all weren't healthy at once. And they ran into, you know, they ran into issues. The, the one saving grace for the Lakers in the West is that OKC and Portland continue to lose games and Utah losing to the Spurs. Like that is huge for the Lakers can they ride this out for a few weeks? Like if LeBron misses the rest of the regular season, we, we still don't really know exactly what the timetable is. If he misses the rest of the regular season or comes back with like four games left, I, I think they're out. I just, I just don't think they have enough, but if it actually is a two to three week injury and LeBron can still play two to three weeks at the end of the year, obviously you're going to need to, to kick it into high gear when he comes back. And, and the Lakers are yet to prove that they could do that consistently. Um, but it, you know, I, I also think, you know, Portland seems to be tailing off at the right time. OKC seems to be tailing off. The SGA injury is a big part of that. Obviously, we talked about Utah. Uh, like there, there are some things that do seem to be working in their favor, even as the LeBron injury uh, on the surface would seemingly sink them. It's more so about the other teams, right? It's it's less so about the Lakers specifically and more so what the teams around them do. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I, I think if you're the Lakers, it, it's really hard to – circle the games that you feel great about. Uh, you know, again, like I, I don't know how much of Anthony Davis sitting out tonight is back to back versus 
a true injury. I would imagine it's a, a, a true uh, issue with his foot or he probably wouldn't be sitting in this spot, but like losing this game to Oklahoma city is massive. Um, you know, Minnesota, Golden State, Memphis, those are their next three opponents. Those are all huge games for, for standings purposes. Really, every game is. Um, they do play at Houston on March 15th. Uh, they, they get two games against the Bulls at the end of March. They get Houston again uh, in early April. But it's not like they're, they're, their schedule is stocked with a bunch of games against the Spurs here. I feel like they played the Spurs like three times in a week early in the season. Uh, and they lost at least one of those. Yeah, I mean, they... I mean, you at, at one point you want to be able to rest AD in certain spots if his foot continues to be an issue. I mean, he's you know he's probable. Him and LeBron were both probable on the injury report every day this season. Yeah. Um. So maybe it is. Who knows? It could be a back to back thing. But you you don't necessarily have the luxury of like, oh, we're playing Houston. We have to rest AD. Right. Like you just you just can't afford to be losing any games at this point. No, you cannot. And uh, I'm going to self-correct myself here. The Lakers have beat the Spurs all four times this season. So I'm going to retract that. I I thought for sure they lost one of those, but they did not. Uh, The Milwaukee Bucks, 15 games in a row, 15 wins in a row, I should say. Uh, They they come back and beat the Nets. Really ugly start for Milwaukee. I don't know if you were watching that one early on. They had a ton of turnovers in the first half. Uh, Cam Johnson and McCall Bridges got off to hot starts. Um, But Milwaukee came back, ended up outscoring the Brooklyn Nets, what, like, 67 to like 42 in the second half. Like it was, it was really ugly uh, in the second two quarters. And this just felt like kind of an infrastructure uh, like classic Milwaukee bucks type of win that like early in the season, it it felt like this is a game that Milwaukee, if they fell behind early, they didn't quite have that same kind of killer ability to, to get back into a game. But even when they were down like 15 in this one, you you just, you always felt like that run was coming. And I, I think, Obviously, that, that happens when you win 15 in a row. A lot of things have to go your way. But even with Middleton limited, even with Giannis missing games sporadically during this streak, like th- the biggest thing for me is it feels like they have their – we're the best team in the league swagger back. They do. They're a machine at this point. Um, I think one thing, if you if you watch them more closely this year, especially later in the season, like when they've been on the streak, they've added more wrinkles to the offense – you know, there were a lot of points, especially early in Bud's tenure and in the playoffs where I was pretty critical of Bud saying like the system is way too rigid. You have to include some room for like, you got to get, you know, Lopez in some down low stuff for the, for hook shots. You got to get guys coming off of cuts, things like that. And they're doing that a lot more this season. Like they, they look so tough to guard. They play so organically. Um, and they just look like a team that's been there and done it before. And this is, I mean, this is really where, you know, we talk about continuity and how important continuity can be with some of these teams like the Warriors and the Celtics, even at this point, given how long that course has been together. But you've had the same coach for, for as long as the Bucks have had Bud and, the, and basically the same core of guys. And you can see what happens when they sort of lock in. They just, they just carve through other teams. Their bench has been playing really well. I, I think they have, they have the right number of guys. And like, they, they don't have anybody who is like rotting away on the bench, but feels like he should be playing 20 minutes a night. You know, I think they, they have that perfect mix where like Javon Carter, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, Pat Connaughton, all those guys play around 20 minutes. You know, Grayson Allen's usually a little bit higher. Um, you know, Chris Middleton at some point is going to be back in the lineup at some point, hopefully is going to play more than 25 minutes. They continue to be really, really cautious with him. He's, he's played in, I think 13 of the last 15, although he is going to be out tonight. Uh, against Orlando on the back-to-back. I, I would, again, at some point, he's going to be back in the starting lineup. I don't know when that's going to be, but they they have a, a really good mix right now. I was I was a little down on the, the Crowder addition. I, I just was kind of hoping they would shoot a little bit higher. Um, but, he, I mean, he looks he looks like a seamless fit so far, and, you know, you can never have enough, like, 6'6 guys who can guard the best player on most teams in the East. Yeah, he's shooting a spotty right. I think that's where the concern yeah. sort of comes in, or, like, you temper expectations. At the same time, it's just the right move for them. Now, I mean, five second round picks, whatever they gave up. Yeah, that's a lot, but yeah. you're not doing anything with those picks. Those are going to be the 57th and 56th picks and all those drafts. And you're right, just getting a guy with size who has plenty of playoff experience um, and can guard some of the better wings in the NBA if you need him to, even if it's just for 10 minutes in the playoffs. Like, even if you just right. need him to guard Tatum for 10 minutes, that's all that really matters. That's 100% of the reason he's there. I think it's a nice bonus if he knocks down a couple corner threes while he's out there. But yeah, this, this is 100% guard Jalen Brown, 
guard Jason Tatum. I mean, he, I, I think the thing with him too, is like, you're okay. If he's, if he switched on to James Harden, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to be guarding Embiid. I, I think that's still somewhat of a concern, but you have Brooke Lopez, you have Giannis, uh, you always got the Nassis to throw out there when you need him. Uh, Javon Carter, by the way, 41% from three on the year, Grayson Allen, 40% from three. It, it, it kind of felt to be coming into the year that Grayson Allen was on thin ice with a lot of Bucks fans, uh, just, just kind of felt underwhelming. It wasn't a disaster, but just didn't really take a step forward. And it's not like this has been some sort of breakout season, but I think both of those guys, I was shocked when I looked at the numbers that they're both over 40%. I mean, I think, I think Grayson Allen kind of got a bad rap with Bucks fans because he, in the playoffs, he just kind of disappeared and didn't look ready for a lot of it, right? Like he looked nervous, looked tentative, but I, f- I feel like I've been relatively high in Grayson Allen, you know, while he's been on the Bucks, like I think he's just a really quality player. Um, and you're right about the Bucks. I mean, Javon Carter's been huge for the Bucks. Like the defensive energy that he brings, bother other teams' point guards. He pushes the ball in transition. High energy guy. He's good. But your your point is it really stands about them having the right amount of guys with the right amount of expectations uh, about how much they're going to play. And um, in the playoffs, you want that versatility, and a, you know they have enough depth still where if a certain you know. There's going to be some matchups where it's just like you just really can't play Pat Connaughton. He's too small, stuff like that. And then you, you can go to Crowder and, you know, vice versa. I, I think with Grayson Allen, too, there's some lingering uh, discontent from the national championship game because right. he basically single-handedly beat the Badgers. So I, I, I still feel that, of course. You know, I'm, I'm conflicted when I root for him. I, I think that in a lot of ways supersedes uh, how I feel about the Bucks. All right. With the trade deadline in the rear view, the back half of the NBA season is upon us. And unfortunately, your fantasy team looks like it might be tanking for Victor Wembanyama. Uh, we got your plan B right here. It's called Swagger. Swagger is daily fantasy for all fankind. Swagger is the most player-friendly DFS site in the game, created for sports fans who simply want some skin in the game and a real shot at winning. Here's how it works. Pick two to 10 player props and score points for the picks you get right. Win a cash prize based on your score, not the perfect ticket. I repeat, you don't need a perfect ticket to win. Even if you get one or two or sometimes half of your ticket wrong, you could still walk away with cash in your bankroll. Swagger has payouts up to 50x and sometimes even higher, depending on your picks. With hundreds of props for you to play, you could build any ticket with any number of players across multiple sports. Play NBA props along with NFL, MLB, NHL, all the top soccer leagues, golf, tennis, motorsports, whatever tickles your fancy. Swagger's got it available. Ready to play? Go to playwithswagger.com to sign up and choose promo code ROTOWIRE10. That's ROTOWIRE10, R-O-T-O-W-I-R-E-10 from the dropdown. Swagger will drop a free $10 into your account to get started. Plus, they'll match your first deposit 100% up to 100 bucks. Swagger, it's daily fantasy for all fan kind. The Sacramento Kings take care of the Thunder for the second time in, in I believe, three days. They, they just played earlier this week as well. Again, no SGA for the Thunder. Pretty ugly uh, without him out there. Uh, they, they fell behind early, never really crawled back into the game. Uh, Sacramento put up 44 in the first quarter, and that is a Sacramento team that did not have De'Aaron Fox. Uh, entire starting five scored at least 13 points for the Kings. Uh, pretty strong numbers all around. I mean, another huge night for Sabonis. Harrison Barnes went off. Uh, but really, I, I want to talk about two things, and they're both on the OKC side. One, I am starting Isaiah Joe in the Stake League this week. I'm just desperately chasing three-pointers. And he did hit two of those last night, but somehow only played 22 minutes. Not cool. Uh, and then Jalen Williams, who we talked about, um, I don't know when that was. I think we talked about him on, our, on either the XM show or the last pod. This dude is extremely good. Extremely, extremely good. There, somebody put together a nice super cut just of his highlights from last night. I was watching uh, on Twitter at 27, 8, and 5 with two steals. Like, I, I know we've, we kind of talked about it in the context of like, where does he go in a redraft. And I think it's really hard to say because of how many big name guys in this class have shown flashes, but have not been fantastic. But man, I, I would not be surprised. Like I'm already at this point with him. where like two, three years down the road. If he is on like a completely different plane in terms of how he's viewed, like, I, I think he really has big time potential. I agree, man. And he's been, um, he, he, he started the year a little bit slow, but it's, it was kind of been like that slow ramp up. Um, as he's gotten more comfortable in the offense. And I think that speaks to him in terms of like how quickly he picks things up and can be effective for a team where he's effectively their third option 
for a team that's 500. And I know that like doesn't sound amazing, but that's better than a lot of other guys who get put in similar positions, um, especially as like a playmaker. And he just, he's just a really, he's like a high IQ guy, knows how to play the angles. He's not like someone who's so, he doesn't have an ego, right? He's not like, I need the ball in my hands. He's willing to play off ball. He's willing to cut. He's willing to share with SGA and Giddy. But then when you do put the ball in his hands in these kinds of situations, he can pop off for 27. Also really hard to discern between him and Lou Dort when you're watching these games. <laughs> like I, I, one of them, I, I think Dort was wearing a headband last night. Thankfully, like that, other than that, I was like, I have no idea who I'm watching right now. Uh, but yeah, he's been absolutely fantastic. You just, just look at the last eight games he's playing 33 minutes, putting up 18.3 points, five rebounds, four assists, two and a half steals, 54% from the field, over 90% at the line, over 40% from three. I mean, he has been bulletproof. Um, and, you know, I, I think he's going to be the number one guy uh, who benefits as long as SGA misses time. Again, we have no idea how long he's going to be out. I, I would think uh, he'll be back as soon as he can. But, I mean, he's dealing with, what, three different injuries or illnesses right now? Yeah, abdomen, Achilles, health and safety protocols, sure. the, uh, the trifecta. But, yep. yeah, I mean, Jalen Williams, it's like OKC just – you know, their drafting strategy is really paying off compared to some of these other teams. Like, it's really interesting how different of strategies a lot of these bad rebuilding teams have. And OKC's, you know, Sam Presti has like a, uh, he's a pretty long leash in terms of like what the front office, or excuse me, what the ownership is going to allow him to do. But drafting Jalen Williams was just part of, hey, we're not going to worry too much about like position like positional fit. Oh, we already have SGA and Giddy. We can't get Jalen Williams, that kind of a thing. They're just going to draft who they like high IQ guys who try hard. And we're going to trust Mark Dangnault to just put five guys on the floor who play well together and experiment a little bit and see what works. And, you know, I think that's a really good way to discern, like who can really make an impact in the NBA and who just isn't, it just isn't at that level. Part of it with Williams is the opportunity. I mean, there there are not that many teams out there that would be willing to hand him this kind of role and are in that position roster-wise. But, I mean, I, I still think he would be doing maybe a diminished version of this or in fewer minutes. I think he'd be doing the same thing on any team. Like, I, I don't think this is just like, oh, he's, he's playing for OKC. They're putting him out there 35 minutes a night. He's, anybody would put up numbers. Like, this this dude is not – he's not a stat patter by any means. And as fun as he's going to be in OKC, which, by the way, I mean, at, at some point, probably over the summer, we're, we're going to have to do like a – a future look ahead article like the thunder are going to be an extremely extremely fun team next season that that is a guarantee and he's part of the reason for that but like imagine if he had gone to portland at seven or new orleans at eight uh you know certainly washington i, I think would take him over johnny davis um which, which pains me to say as a badger but i i saw i think it was johnny davis's birthday earlier this week and they they like tweeted out a graphic the wizards like happy birthday johnny davis uh the replies were were not good uh, i'll tell you that there were not a lot of people wishing him happy birthday that's not surprising, but um, your point stands. I think almost any team that's not a title contender could find 20 minutes for Jalen Williams. Yeah, he's Houston also just minutes. huge. Part of it's the hair, but he's just he's just a big dude. Like, I mean, that's also part of the reason he looks like Dort is because both of those guys are built like linebackers. They're also, I'm watching the highlights right now. They both also wear it's calf ridiculous. sleeves and armband. Yeah, um, yeah when, the, when the accessories are the same, that's... That's tough. But yeah, Williams can slide up. Like they've essentially been playing about power forward for points in the season. And that's huge too. You know, I mean, OKC is very positionally flexible. Um, That's just how they choose to play. But yeah, there's plenty of teams could use, would get a very useful 20 minutes out of him. All I'm saying is David Stern would have stepped in by now. He would not allow Dort and Jalen Williams to wear the same accessories. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Uh, Okay. Anything else from, from last night's slate stand out to you? Uh, not off the top of my head. No, I mean, I, it was a rough night for me on the, on the pick section. Like I, I identified a bunch of stuff I was looking at. And I feel like I got a lot of it just not right. Like, I mean, the Bucks I got right. Cause I was like, there's no way this, this Bucks team on the streak loses to Brooklyn. But I was surprised. I was surprised the Clippers lost to Minnesota. That was pretty shocking. Was Dallas bad. drops another one. Dallas drops another one. That's, that's tough. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the Clippers game. I was I was watching that in the late window, and I, I I'm with you. I was I just kept waiting for the run to come. I'm like Minnesota's not winning this game. It's just not happening. The Clippers are at some point are going to go on their run, and they just it, they just never did. Even with like two minutes left when they're down five or six, I'm still thinking like Minnesota's not winning. They're just not. 
Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to pin it all on Westbrook. He had some pretty tough plays down the stretch, uh, including like a bizarre pull-up kind of turnaround spinning jumper on a possession where the Clippers like absolutely needed a bucket. And, you know, we saw, we saw that a hundred times with the Lakers. It's like, that is, that's kind of the exact play that it just shows up as a, a missed mid-range jumper in the stat sheet, but it's kind of hard to quantify how important not getting something better on that possession is. It's like, it's, it's weighted differently because of the guys that are around him. Right. Like when yes. he was in Washington and it's like, well, your other option is like Beal. It's like, okay, I'd still rather have the ball in Beal's hands, but it's not like the other options on the floor are um, Kawhi and Paul George. Yeah. What what a fall for Brad Beal that we're talking about him like that. It actually is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, what are we going to have Brad Beal take the shot? I mean, seriously, like I, I don't know what Beal's career outlook is at this point. He's, you know, it seems like he's happy in Washington, but um. Just chilling, that's, not, that's, that's not really the point. I mean, I did Westbrook. I said this to you on the XM show. I think Westbrook is actually, I mean, he's still a useful basketball player for a team that like needs a little energy, but he's just not a guy you play in the last five minutes of games when it's crunch time. He's just not that guy. He's going to make bad decisions. He's going to think it's his team and that he deserves to make the decisions. And I get why Ty Lu wants to put him out there and like give it a shot. And because it's just hard, like locker room wise, <laughs> the Lakers ran into this issue, right? You know, you just don't play a guy when it quote unquote matters and he's going to be unhappy. Um, It's just, he can't be the one making the decisions down the stretch. I just don't feel like the Clippers ever needed to do this. Like I, it, it's, it's a move that you make kind of out of desperation. You know, if there's a, if there's like a Kevin Durant warriors team sitting at the top of the conference, you're thinking, man, we, we can't beat this team. We, we need some sort of lightning in a bottle and, I know there's a good chance it won't work, but if it does, maybe, maybe that's what could put us over the top. Like I thought they were just fine without Westbrook. Like I, I, I just, I feel like they had built a, you know, not like the team to beat necessarily, but a, a an absolute contending team when healthy that I, I just didn't, I didn't feel like the potential reward is worth the risk. And this is one of those situations where to be the risk far exceeds the reward. Uh, let me ask you this, Alex, when we're going through, we're, we're doing projections, we're doing our tiers and everything for next season. What team is Russell Westbrook on? Who's signing him? I mean, the two teams, I guess Chicago is a possibility. I really have no idea what's going on with Lonzo Ball. I mean, just the fact that Chicago grabbed Beverly off the waiver wire, or not the waiver wire, free agency, bio market, whatever you want to call it in real life. Just the fact that they grabbed him and they're like, all right, he's starting now. Tells me yeah. that that's a void that they they feel pretty bad about. They just waved Goran Dragic for what it's worth. Um, but I could I could see that happening in Chicago. You know, they're desperate to make something happen. But other than that, yeah, you look at teams where it's like, what team does not have a point guard that is basically in desperation mode trying to win? And that list of teams is always, it's like less than a handful any given offseason. Well, it's such a paradox because Russell Westbrook does not help you win. He does (laughs) not. That is proven at this point. So it it doesn't make sense for a team like the Spurs to go bring him in. No. And, you know, he's not going to help you develop any of your younger players. If anything, he probably makes them worse. So I, I, where I was going with this, I was hoping you would say he might not be on a team because oh, no. I, I think that is a real possibility. It is. It is. I mean, maybe uh, Minnesota. I don't like, you know what I mean? It's just, it is yeah. a possibility that he is not on a team. I, the I, Westbrook Gobert combination. Oh my God. My goodness. I would, t- I would watch. I mean, I can I would watch every game. How could I you mean, not? Maybe, if we're trying to, you know, if we're trying to uh, increase viewership here in the Minnesota market, that's that's what you got to do. <laughs> the NBA will take control of Russell Westbrook's contract and just place him <laughs> on a team that will provide the most chaos for viewers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I want to talk about just a handful of essentially random players who I have chosen uh, to ask you about guys who feel like they've been anywhere from mildly to severely disappointing in fantasy this season. And, you know, some of them could be injury related, but for the most part, I I tried to focus on guys who, uh, you know, haven't missed 50 games. It's pretty easy to point out, you know, why, why exactly they failed. Um, And I I want to go back to, to Oklahoma city. And this, this is not a guy who I feel like gets talked about much in a negative context and for good reason, but I've been a little iffy on, on Josh Giddy, maybe more so uh, from a fantasy perspective than in real life. He's taken some steps forward, he's averaging, you know, 16, seven and a half, six assists. The counting stats are great. Uh, defensively, still not doing much, still under a three-pointer per game, still an average free throw shooter. And a little bit more concerningly, Alex, like even with, you know, SGA missing some time and Giddy basically being the number two option the entire year, like he, he has an alarmingly low free throw rate. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was my, I mean, my two main criticisms of Giddy's game, which are not like <laughs> criticisms um, unique to me, or so he just doesn't get to the free throw line. Like he does not play physical enough. Not that he necessarily has the frame for it, but other guys with his frame have succeeded playing physically and he's just not a good defender. And those two things are going to hurt his upside. And he actually, he, you know, he reminds me a little bit of not as a player, but like Scotty Barnes, where we had like, guys out for Toronto and we're like, all right, Scotty Barnes time. And he just actually played worse yeah. with, with teammates out. And the same thing has happened in OKC where I was looking at these numbers the other day. This is why this is on the top of my head, but SGA off the court, Giddy's usage goes up like 1% and he actually averages fewer fantasy points per 36 with like Giddy might be more of kind of like a connecting piece rather than like a future number two, number three option. But it's also, like, I don't know. He's also not a great shooter, right? It's improved this year. He's an improved shooter. I mean, uh, the work that they've done in the offseason to make him a, a better shooter is important. But his, uh, I agree with you bringing him up as, like, what is this guy's sort of future in the NBA? In five years, what sort of, like, team is – where is Giddy in the hierarchy of, like, a good team? It's especially tough because a lot of what he does well, SGA does even better. And honestly, I mean, Jalen Williams does a lot of the things that, that, that Giddy does. So, you know, like his, his stat profile is almost more like setup man point guard, like, but he's never going to be that guy because you have SGA and again, you have Williams and you know, whoever else they, they continue to bring in via the draft or free agency when, when they hit the, hit the gas on this rebuild. But yeah, it's like, I, if you can't be a spot up shooter playing next to SGA, that, that's a pretty big problem. He's shooting 20% from three uh, since, since the beginning of January. Yeah, he, I thought, I mean, he was, he had some stretches this year where they was better, but yeah, I agree with you. It's like, what, what, like, what is his comp? Like as an NBA player, like what's a guy who it's almost like he, he's kind of like a Joe Ingles, but Ingles had shot the three, you know what I mean? Like right. Ingles was a spot up three guy shooting like 42% from three. And he's not like, maybe is he just like a really tall TJ McConnell? I, Ooh. You know, I don't know. Um, and I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to like kill his upside and say that like, he's going to become TJ McConnell. It's just a player type. Um, and I just don't know. I mean, I just think there's almost no upside to him being like a number two option, right? Like what's the scenario that Josh Giddy becomes 
the number two option. And not every guy has to become a number two option when you drop when you draft them that high. Um, to be honest, I think he's playing better than I thought he would when he got drafted. Like comparatively, two years into his career, I didn't think he'd be playing this well. So I think in in that in that sense, like it's a it's a success. Yeah, it's really tough to find a comparison. I'm trying to rack my brain right now. And it's funny you brought up Ingles because he was one of the first guys who came to mind. I don't know. Maybe it's the Australia thing. Maybe it's the the white, the white skin thing. I have no idea. Um, but it, yeah, it, I think there are some similarities there. It, it's a, a very unique archetype, right? And, you know, Joe Ingles kind of feels like a one-of-one type of guy. Uh, you know, I was kind of thinking, I mean, like, somewhere, but like, if you could combine Ben Simmons and TJ McConnell, <laughs> minus the defense i don't know does that does that make any sense is he like what justice winslow should have been kind of yeah but like but like at the same time we're, we're sitting here saying he can't shoot he doesn't get to the line and he's still putting up like 16 17 points a game as right. the clear number two guy on a team that has a super high usage number one so like i, I don't i don't know i don't want it to be a criticism necessarily i, I just wonder where it goes yeah I, yes I, I think if we're talking in a fantasy context you know guys can't improve every single season forever and you have to put their stats into perspective with who's around them and expectations of the team. And I wouldn't be surprised if Giggy's stats just kind of like, if this is just who he is as a player, um, yeah. improve somewhat, but like maybe he just is like a 16, seven and seven player. And again, that's, that's good. That's good for fantasy, but there are limitations to his game that I think on a really competitive, competitive team, would hurt him. And I think, again, with a lot of these OKC guys, I I just, I need to see them in the playoffs. Like, I need to see what Giddy turns into in the playoffs for me to get a, a better idea of sort of who he is as a player. To his credit, he is shooting 48% from the field. Part of that is he's taking fewer threes, but he's also, you know, been much better at the rim. So that there has been a lot of improvement. I, I'm very interested to see where it goes. Um, but yeah, it, it's still kind of an open book right now. And you know, he's going to probably finish this year uh, outside the top 100 in nine cat leagues. So I, I, I'm not, it's one of those guys that I, I think there's going to be a lot of context. I think that goes into this OKC roster uh, when it comes to evaluating him for fantasy purposes, but like Jalen Williams right now on the year full season in terms of per game value ranks ahead of Giddy. That's surprising actually. Well, it's a steal. I think, I think right? it's that the steals get a lot of weight. Yeah. I mean, Giddy, you know, Giddy gets a lot of his points through the, that sort of short floater, right? You run the pick and roll. And then when you are approaching the the center, you just shoot up that eight foot floater. Yeah. Um, and you can make a career out of that. Like a lot of guys are, you know, that's come, becoming a more real shot for, for players. Yusuf Nurkic. He is the oh 95th best player in nine cat per game value this season. Uh, it's just, it's been the same old story and, you know, injuries are part of it for Nurkic for sure. Uh, he's, he's hurt right now. In fact, killing my stake league team, but I, he's very close Alex to just landing on my do not draft list. I've had him on way too many teams the last few years. I was, I, that's where I was going. He's cl- he's close to a do not draft at this point. Um, hasn't played more than 56 games since 2018, 19. He's on pace to play fewer than 56 this year. He's at 45 right now. Um, like, when he plays, he's good, man. It's just, I mean, and the only thing is, like, they're basically trapped with this contract. I mean, they would have to, I think, attach assets to get rid of him. So, in that sense, he's still worth a flyer late in drafts. Like, every, almost anybody is worth a flyer late in drafts, even if they're an injury issue. But, like, Drew Eubanks isn't bad either. You know, like, there's... Okay, if it, all right. What? I'm just saying, like, if, if, the, if the Blazers... <laughs> But but should we be surprised if the Blazers are like, well, Nurkic's body just can't handle 30 minutes. Yeah. So we, well, I mean, we, that's the thing. It's like even when he's healthy, they barely play him 30 minutes. Right. Like he has his few games, but then it, it it trails off. So I wouldn't be surprised if this sort of turns into like a minute split between him and Drew Eubanks, or maybe mm-hmm. they find a different like backup center. And and even if you do get him um late in a draft, it's just that's you're you're basically just gonna get like twelve, nine, and two from him. Ryan Williamson, 57th in nine cat per game value. Part of that uh, is he, he's turning the ball over a ton, or he was when he was playing. He's only played 29 games, uh, but almost three and a half turnovers per game. Uh, I'm trying to look up his ADP. He was he was going with the 35th pick in Yahoo leagues. So, you know, in theory, you know, mo- most Yahoo leagues tend to be nine cat. 
Uh, in theory, even if he stayed healthy, not on track to, to be a top 50 player. I, I feel like you and I were, were kind of cautioning that. I, I don't think I landed him in any leagues. I, I would have taken him, uh, but I was not willing to take him inside the top 40. Um, and that was really kind of health concerns aside. I, I just think there's always been this disconnect in terms of fantasy versus real life effectiveness. Uh, but obviously, you know, the injuries are going to be the main storyline with him going forward. So, you know, that was already in everybody's mind coming into this year. He still got pushed up draft boards. Does that happen again? I think he's going to start slipping. I wouldn't be surprised if he sort of slipped around in the average draft, like next year he goes or in the 45 range. And just at some point, the injuries are not only going to like the injuries are a concern, just miss games perspective, but the injuries are also now a concern. Like is his body sort of getting beat up? He's, he's almost too young for us to get really concerned about like the injuries taking a toll on him. Um, but I think I compared him to Blake Griffin before where it's like sooner, like the injuries, they just add up eventually and your body doesn't work the same way as it could. And then as a player, what do you become? Because he is a player who is so reliant on, on that athleticism, right? And if he's less than 100% or that athleticism starts fading um, mm. as a result of some injuries, it's just, it's not going to be that effective. We're seeing that we saw it with Blake. We're seeing it with Westbrook um, right now too. I, I just think you got to wait until like, yeah, pick 45 ish 50. I think that's when it's worth it. But as you mentioned at the top, he's that's about like his value per game anyway. It's funny because at some point with Zion, he's going to become a bargain because I, I do feel like if you're willing to put the health aside, which maybe we never get that point in his career, but even if he plays like 55 games, when a lot of other players are playing 65 to 70, it's, it's not as big of a deal. You know, you, it's not like everybody else is playing 82 if he could just get to that threshold, like I do think there's a point where he, he'd become a bargain because I think his floor is super, super high. I think there's just been some, some kind of misconstruing of how high his ceiling is. Yeah, I agree. I'm a guy who just, <laughs> when, when guys are completely deficient in sort of two stat categories, there's only so high they can get. Right. I mean, we just talked about this with Giddy, no defense, um, no threes, you know, with, uh, Zion is basically the same thing. You can only go so high up the draft boards when that's, um, excuse me, your ranking can only go so high when that's the case. Scotty Barnes, the number 71 player in nine cat per game value. Uh, I have Scotty Barnes on a number of teams. In fact, he's probably my most rostered player across all the leagues I'm in this year. And, you know, it, it's been a, it's been a disappointment for sure. Uh, especially because I took him much higher than 71st. I'll tell you that. Uh, but, you know, the counting stats have been okay. 16.7 rebounds, five assists. He's basically averaging a steal and a block per game. Those numbers were down early on. He's had a three-pointer per game, but field goal percentage, not been great, around 45. Free throw percentage, a uh, little below league average at 76. Um, all, all in all, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier in the pod, like he's he's had his opportunities, it feels like, to take a step forward. And for the most part, has... has basically about the same guy as last year, which still pretty good because this is a guy who came into the league raw, um, but did, did definitely did not make a leap from really nice rookie season, you know, rookie of the year to all of a sudden, you know, this guy's a star because we've seen other players do that by year two. It's like, it's not crazy. You could become a star in the NBA by the end of your second season. It just hasn't happened for him. Is it, I mean, is it possible to become a star if you can't shoot threes and you're not physically dominant? Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I he's a, he's a confusing player to me. I like he's again he's kind of he's a good connector. You know, he's a good passer. He plays de- he's good on defense, right? That matters. So it's like you you never you never feel like horrible when he's out there. Um, I just it doesn't. I don't feel so confident in his ceiling. You know, like is there a twenty five point per game Scotty Barnes season ever? Um, yeah. Probably not. I mean, he's always kind of, to me, he's kind of has like the, the Scotty Pippen type of profile, right? Where it's like, I, I think ideally he's, he's never your number one guy. And maybe he reaches a point in his career where, where he could be that. Um, but yeah, I, I think if, if, if they asked him to go get 20 to 25 points a night, I think he could do it. But I, I think it would require a lot of shots and it would be kind of clunky. You know, like I don't think scoring necessarily comes easy to him. Like every time I watch the Raptors, I feel like he gets 80% of his points on like jump hooks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of his offense. I mean, I'm looking up his numbers right now when he takes at least 15 shots, 43% from the field. You right. know, like he's just, 
it just it's not it's not efficient right now. And there are some guys who, you know, they they do hit a point like they they make some really strong offseason progression in their in their shooting form or something and it comes together and you know that could that could add like four points per game right on there. But and if you get an extra field goal attempt or two, you know, that that really helps. But I'm just I I think I'm just relatively low on Scotty Barnes, maybe just as a fantasy asset. Yeah. Um kind of how I feel about Giddy, where it's like, I think there's a, a pretty hard ceiling on what he can become. I, I do think Barnes has a higher fantasy ceiling just because defensively, I think there's yeah. a, a lot more that could be unlocked there. Like, you know, if you're in like a dynasty league, like he's still a blue chip asset as far as I'm concerned, but uh, all, all fair points. Uh, where are we at on Michael Porter? You know, it, it has not been like a huge letdown season for him. Like he's, he's just outside the top 75 uh, in terms of nine cat per game value. I'm trying to find his ADP right now. He was he was going around pick 60 in Yahoo League. So you're looking at like difference of a little over a round. Again, not not a, a horrible ROI. Uh, but I, I also do feel like it, it it doesn't seem all that realistic that he'll get back to the development path that he was on like two years ago when you know we were starting to get like Kevin Durant comparisons in terms of the shooting volume and efficiency. I think the I think the three point efficiency is always going to be there because that part of his game is just so pure. Like it doesn't matter. Hand in his face. It's just he's such a ridiculous three point shooter that he's going to just average fifteen points a game by default if you put him out there by for thirty minutes because Jokic is going to get him the looks and he's just going to fire away even when he's not open. Um, but beyond that, I just I don't really see him as anything beyond sort of a a spot up shooter, you know, like sort of long term. Because they got, and they also, it's, it's not even necessarily his fault. It's just they have other guys on the team doing other stuff. Like Jamal Murray's going to handle the ball a ton. There's a lot of the Jamal Murray, Jokic pick and roll, and then you put Porter in the corner because that's the spot that makes sense for him. You have Aaron Gordon who can also shoot threes now, but if you want someone to cut to the basket, you'd rather it be Aaron Gordon than than Porter. Um, yeah, I'm just the injuries too are are always a concern, especially because it's a yeah. kind of a chronic back issue. Yeah, injuries are always going to be number one for him. I mean, the, the field goal percentage is down pretty considerably from where he was two years ago. I mean, that's that's when he was at his peak fantasy-wise. Everything else, though, it was pretty much right there. Like, the, the three-point shooting is down a little bit, but he's still at 41%. I mean, that's fantastic, especially, like, when you watch him, it feels like half of his looks are, like, heavily, heavily contested. Like, he will yeah. he will catch and fire if he is, you know, well-guarded, not well-guarded, doesn't seem to matter. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think we just kind of have to view him I mean, almost, almost is he kind of just like Clay Thompson ish, you know, with, with slightly better rebounding? Uh, he might be more like Kelly Oubre if Kelly Oubre could make contested shots. I mean, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't pass like he's one assist no, he per game. Not that he has to, but he's a guy who would just rather take the contested shot because he's like, I can make this. Why would I pass to somebody? He could pass if he needed to, but yes, he, he mostly chooses not to. And look, it, it, it works out for him. I mean, he, he is kind of the perfect third guy, right? Because Jokic is obviously more than happy to pass. You know, Murray's kind of somewhere in the middle. And then you, you kind of need like that, that gunner type, um, especially for a team that you know doesn't have like fantastic shooting coming off of the bench. You know, KCP is kind of game to game uh, in that regard. Um, let's see. I lost my list for a second here. Is Alfred Shangun a disappointment? 78th best player right now. Part of that is, that, I mean, he started the season coming off the bench and the minutes were low. Um, he's a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, he's his, a part of it's his minutes all over the place. Like if you were to tell people he would only play 28 minutes a game, I think they would have drafted him lower. Some people had expectations probably that he was going to play 33, 34 minutes a game. Um, I don't think he's too much of a disappointment. I mean, I think okay. his stats have trended up in the in the right direction. You know, he increased his field goal percentage while increasing his shot attempts. And his assists are up. And um, his steal and block numbers, it's like 1.7 combined steals and blocks. That's good. But he's he's not actually a good defender, right? He just has active hands. He's like he's like Andre Drummond, where it's like he, there's going to be times where he gets blown past and he has slow feet. But, like, I, he's pretty good at sticking his hands in there to get those steals and blocks. No, I don't I don't think so. I don't think Shangun's a disappointment. Yeah, I think there's just been a lot of chaos in Houston, and, and he's been partially victimized by that. I, I know, like, after a game, it was either Sunday or Monday, Steven Silas, like, blamed Shangun's defense. He's like, well, you, he's just getting cooked in pick and rolls. Like, so is everybody <laughs> else, dude. Like, you think that's, like, the real reason that you're you're allowing 140 points every night? Yeah, Shangun, I mean, it's – well, he's – I mean, 
when you're a, when you're bad on defense as a center, a lot gets pinned on you, right? Because you're the last line of defense. So it's like, who's the who is the person nearer to the guy scoring the ball? Sometimes gets labeled as a bad defender. And I'm not again, I'm not trying to defend Shengu. He is not a good defender. Um, but if you watch Rockets games, it's just like they're the most lackadaisical. Like they do not care if people mm-hmm. score on them. They just don't. Yeah, it's uh, it's not Ty Ty Washington's on ball defense. I can tell you that that is definitely not the issue. Uh, Rudy Gobert definitely goes down as a disappointment. I, I feel like we need to just kind of check that off. I we've talked about it so much. I don't really have a lot to say. I mean, it's just seems like kind of a bad fit. You know, he's he's kind of going to be better, I think, the rest of the way because I think swapping out D'Angelo Russell for Mike Conley is going to be massive. Uh, with that said, I, I don't know that that solves things long term. I, I think there's still some some pretty major fit issues that need to be discussed. And then obviously they played basically this entire season without Carl Anthony Towns. So um, I, I do think regardless of how Gobert looks for the last five or six weeks here, and regardless of what happens in the playoffs, like there's, we're still going to be faced with those same questions. I think going into next season, I would hopefully we get to see what their offense looks like with towns back in the fold this season with like towns and Conley. I would like to see how that kind of gets sorted out. Because I think Conley being on the team gives Gobert more upside, especially as a scorer. Um, but I also, I mean, I don't think Gobert can get worse. Like, Gobert, I don't think no. Gobert can like, play worse next year. So you got to draft him ahead of where he finishes this year. Yeah, this is an absolute worst case scenario, um, you know, both in terms of, uh, I, I think, health, because for his size, he's been remarkably healthy and he, he's kind of missed time on and off. We'll probably end up playing in around 70 games. Uh, but it, I mean, it's been a worst case scenario production wise, you know, the rebounds are way down. The blocks especially are way down. He's under a steal per game. Um, yeah. Even the field goal percentage is down from, for when he was like a 70% guy. So yeah, I, I don't think he's old enough where you look at this as the new normal by any means. And yeah, you're right. I think it, it'd be good to get some sort of a sample of what this team looks like, you know, without D'Angelo Russell, but with Carl Anthony towns for at least a few weeks. Did you see that article uh, a couple weeks ago, right after the deadline, by the way, that that said that D'Angelo Russell wore his hatred for Rudy Gobert on his sleeve. I did. That was amazing. What a quote. Uh yeah. I mean, so, certain guys. I can listen. I can understand how Gobert gets under his teammates' skin. Not even just personality wise. I mean, you've we've heard things about like Gobert's personality before, but he, the man has bricks for hands. You know what I mean? And like, there's just there's just a a there's a limit to the amount of times you can just like throw someone a dime under the basket and it just bounces off their hands. Like it's just at some point you're like, I am so I'm just going to shoot. Like, I'm yeah. just sick of this. Like, so it's, it sucks that, you know, um, D'Lo was so like uh, vocal about it, but on the other hand, Hey, he just got traded to uh, Los Angeles where he gets to play with LeBron James now uh, and Anthony Davis. So I think ultimately uh, he won, so to speak. Two guys that do not have, bricks for hands. I, I can also see D'Angelo Russell definitely being a guy who like counts his assists in his head as the game goes along. Yes. Yeah. Trying to get a 17 and 10. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I just got a couple more here and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Bradley Beal. We mentioned him earlier. I just, I, a total fall from grace fantasy wise and in real life. It's like, does any like, when's the last time you've had, you've, you've like talked about Bradley Beal to anyone. No. Like it just, it just feels like he's totally faded away and, yeah, we're still hanging out in Washington, putting up 24 a game, five assists, four rebounds, uh, shooting 52% from the field. Like he's not having a bad season, but like to me, it feels like he, he like willfully chose to just like not be anything yes. close to a superstar anymore. It's really strange. Yeah. It's like, he, he was like, what if, you know, what if I could like, what if I just played like Damian Lillard? Like, what if I just gave that much effort every single night? start playing like that. And he did it for two years. And then at the end of the second year was like, you know what? I am, I'm pretty tired. This is really difficult. And to be honest, I don't feel like doing it anymore. Uh, I feel like that, that could have happened. And he's, he's perfectly content to sort of not float, but he's like, Oh yeah. I'll let Kuzma take some shots. Yeah, Kuzma likes to shoot yeah, Porzingis. Yeah. We'll give him his high post touches. Let him take the fade away. I'm not going to, you know, no big deal. I feel like he went down to Atlanta and like spent a month living with Joe Johnson or something over the summer. And it's just like, <laughs> how can I be you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, so fantasy wise, is that just who he is now? Like, are you, he's like the 50th best fantasy player in nine category. Like, I, I don't think he's ever going to get back to being a 30 point per game scorer, which he was doing before it was cool. Like, you know, if he was still that guy this year, he might be averaging like 34 a game. 
like he was doing it when when James Harden was the only other guy in that stratosphere. Uh, like, are, are you comfortable taking him? I don't know inside the top forty at this point. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go inside the top forty. And he, plus, he hasn't been healthy lately. Like he's killing me in stake league this year. He just he just is not playing a lot of games. Um, no, I mean I'm he's a guy where I'm perfectly comfortable drafting him at his like fantasy rank, essentially. Uh, but no, I'm not. I I would say maybe I reached a little bit for him this year um, because I also felt like he was going a little bit too low. So mm-hmm. I might have jumped the gun on him in a few spots like by a round. But uh, no, not at this point forward. I think he's just you draft him around that 50 range. Okay, last one I'm going to throw at you. Keldon Johnson from the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, ADP inside the top 60 in some leagues, a little bit further back in Yahoo, but uh, ranks outside the top 130 in 8-cat per game. Uh, a little bit better in 9-cat, you know, not, not a super high turnover player. Um, it, it, well, actually, no, he's, he's even lower in 9-cat. There we go. It pushes him down outside the top 150 in 9-cat. So he officially qualifies uh, still been productive. You know, he's, he's played in 55 games. He's still giving you 22 a night, uh, but the rebounding has not really been there. Um, you know, the assist under three per game, not really giving you any value defensively is adding two threes per game, average free throw shooter at best. Uh, you know, obviously the Spurs have been a mess. It's kind of tough to evaluate anybody in that situation, but it, it, I, I think the, the flip side of that is this could would kind of be the perfect situation for someone like Keldon Johnson to put up a ton of big numbers on a bad team. Yeah, he just – I'm just not sure he's ready for this sort of role. Like, he's like he's overworked, right, as the number one option. Um, but – he and he's still really young. I just think – and he's kind of slipping into that category of guys for me where it's like, okay, he's not playing defense for you. Like, he's not getting you any defensive numbers. He's not passing. Like, his assist-to-turnover ratio is is basically one. And he's kind of on the Mendoza line of efficiency. Like he's just not that efficient of a shooter. And I think last year's role was better for him. You know, I think he might be closer to like when, when he settles into a a legit role on a good team, might be better to like 15 to 17 points a game. But in fantasy, it's like, well, he's getting you again, nothing defensively. The efficiency isn't amazing. Like his free throw shooting isn't great either. Um, I'm just pretty conflicted on him going forward. The three-point shooting is way down. He's at 32% from three. He's still, still hitting over two per game, but that's because he's taking um, you know, six and a half. So that's impacted the field goal percentage a little bit. Uh, he has been better from two. Has been getting to the line you know, two-plus more times per game than last season. That is pretty encouraging. Uh, but you know, you got to do more than, than just score, I guess, for, for fantasy purposes. And you know, he, he certainly has the size and athleticism to be a lot better on defense. So uh, I, you know, he's one of those guys that I think is still young enough uh, this was a kind of a one-off situation for the Spurs. We'll see what happens in the draft. Like if, if Victor Wembanyama is on this team next year, I have no idea how to handle really anybody else um, because I think that'll be such a unique situation. Uh, but, you know, I, I think a lot of the upside that was causing people to take him with like the 55th overall pick in a draft, like I, I don't think that's happening, you know, come September. I don't think so. His stats are actually eerily similar to RJ Barrett, who I've... okay. But no, I've compared him to RJ Barrett. I used to joke that Keldon Johnson was like RJ Barrett if RJ Barrett was good, but I, you know, now I don't know. I think that they both might not be that good. Um, but I mean, RJ Barrett really is similar. the 259th best player in nine cat this year. That's insane. Man. Like it's not great. I mean, he's, he's basically, he's playing like 25, 26 minutes a game for tips lately. Um, but it's, it's similar stats, right? Barrett's 20 points a game, five rebounds, only three assists. The turnovers are 2.3. He's given you nothing defensively. Again, he's marginally efficient because his just his field goal percentage and three points percentage aren't that good. Yes, he gets the free throw line, but it's just like this is a this is kind of a specific player type. And I feel like they both fit into it. And um it's it's just not good for fantasy. Like I think these guys to some extent might actually be more valuable in real life than fantasy. Oh, yeah. But um you just have to be aware when you're drafting them, like what you're getting yourself into, like, especially in a, in a Roto league. Right. And in that format, you know, we try to preach this as much as we can. Like it, it absolutely makes sense to add someone like Keldon Johnson at the right time in a draft. And depending on what the rest of your team looks like, right? Like if you're, if you're a little deficient in scoring and that's what you're targeting and you're picking 85th next year, it's like, okay, yeah, maybe locking in 20 to 23 points per game from Keldon Johnson makes sense, but picking him in like the fourth or fifth round, 
and expecting him to, to magically become like a 22, six and six guy. It's just not going to happen. And like, you have to, like, there are not that many guys who are this bad on, on defense in terms of stats. Like I, to be honest, haven't watched enough of the Spurs to tell you how Keldon Johnson's on ball defense has been this year, but I can tell you that he's not racking up any steals or blocks that typically doesn't change meaningfully like year over year. No, no, it doesn't. Um, yeah, that's why in drafts, I mean, it, it's, you can almost punt points in drafts and just target guys who are, you know, good assist and rebounds guy, good defenders, right? Because at any given time in the waiver wire, you can kind of just grab somebody who's scoring or getting threes from you. So it's, it's better to target more of those like rare stats. Isaiah Joe, baby. Yeah, he's gonna carry, exactly. he's gonna carry me to the promised land. Every, every uh, week, there's some guy who's on a four game week that might get you like <laughs> 70 points. All right, man. If we're talking to Isaiah Joe, I think that means it's time to wrap it up. Uh, good chat and hoops with you as always. Uh, you'll be back on Friday. Uh, we'll have you on the XM show every Wednesday. So if you're a serious XM listener, subscriber, make sure you check Alex out. We are in the now noon to 2 p.m. Eastern window on Sirius XM channel 87. Uh, hopefully you have some more serious XM news uh, to come at some point. Uh, but as always, Alex, appreciate you taking the time and we'll talk soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.